0: The title of the message, as we look at this here, 2019, Can I Change, is kind of our our theme, if you thought, for the year about change. A look back to transform our look forward. Going through January, we're looking at the book of Acts, which is a history of change. And the challenge is sometimes we always want to push forward. But sometimes it's helpful to look back to prevent us from making the same mistakes, but also to be aware of what we can prepare for for the future. Uh, there is individuals said you know we stand on the shoulders of men and women who have gone before and it's true we don't arrive at the place where we're at without the help of someone before who has gone and so this morning we're going to look at acts chapter 1 verse 4 through 11 i'll be reading acts chapter 1 verse 4 through 11 while he was together with them he commanded them not to leave jerusalem but to wait for the father's promise This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Shall we pray to? Begin our service, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth it gives to us. Thank you that you have provided uh, believers an understanding through your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would help us to understand your word, but also have the strength to be able to live it through conviction and through your power. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at understanding f- that we don't always understand God's plan, But we trust God. And in verse 4, we see the command was given to the disciples. Give some context. We are looking at what Luke is writing and the record of what takes place after Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And as we saw earlier, he was on the earth. He was there 40 days and explaining to his disciples and showing himself that he had truly resurrected from the dead. But he gives a command to his disciples in verse 4, and it says, commands them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Father's promise. And the first thing we want to look at is understanding is that obedience brings blessings. A lot of us understand that, but if you're filling out in your notes, it's obedience brings blessings. In verse 4, we see this as an Old Testament lesson as well, because it says, Assembled together, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. So obedience brings blessings. Back in 1 Samuel 15.22, and I'll turn there. You're welcome to just hold your spot. But 1 Samuel 15.22, we see a lesson with King Saul. And King Saul was chosen, the first king of Israel, chosen uh, by God. And by the people, he was taller than everyone. He was the king that really the people desired. But in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it states, and it says, so Samuel said, and let me give you some background. What happens is, to give you some context, and I think I have it there, chapter 5, verse 12. Um, and I, I'll show you there in just a moment. But 1 Samuel, excuse me, fifteen twenty-two. You have the king of Amalek, and he was told by Samuel, by God, to he would destroy all of the Amalekites and to not leave anything. But Sam, um, Saul, King Saul disobeys, and he leaves the king alive, kind of as the trophy. And he saves the plunder and the spoil and even the animals. And he says, oh, this is, I have saved so that I can give sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel responds and says, Has the Lord, verse twenty two, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity, sin, and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So early on in the Old Testament we see the importance of of obedience. And the challenges in our own lives, sometimes our desire is to do something for someone else. Uh, many of you, if you're parents, you understand sacrifice. You have sacrificed for your children. Some of you have sacrificed for someone else, even in education. You understand that probably someone has sacrificed to help you to get where you're at. Some of you might not even realize that. But if they haven't obeyed, if there hasn't been obedience, then it's sometimes for the wrong intent. But the lesson here is obedience brings blessing. And counter that, as you see in 1 Samuel 13, chapter 13 through 14, is that disobedience brings punishment and consequence. And we learn about that through the life as well of what takes place in the the Old Testament. But first of all, as we return back to Acts and see here, he says, stay in Jerusalem, and there will be blessings. And it's important because in obedience bringing blessing, we must understand that is to obey God's commands. To obey God's commands. God's command was specifically to stay in Jerusalem. And uh, don't leave Jerusalem. What are God's commands? That's the question. It's an act of the will. And uh, this is the challenge because our natural desire is not to obey. Some of you, I know, may have a, a rebellious streak in you. you know, oh, you know what? Skeptical and You know, I have the same way. We're all human. If someone gives you a command, it's like, why should I obey it? Now, many of you have been in the military, and you understand what it means to follow orders. It's not uh, how high, you know, you just jump. You just follow the command, because you know that someday your life may depend upon it. But as you get out in civilian life, as other ones, as you have lived and understand, there's some people, especially our government, who make certain laws, and it's like, why? And you wonder. Is this uh, really a benefit? And so, as we look at some of the commands, it becomes more of an act of the will to follow after, and even God's commands, of what He says. But let's look at some of God's commands, um, and we're going to look at a couple passages. So, hold your spot. We'll go to First Timothy two one. First Timothy two one. First Timothy chapter two verse one. And the emphasis here in this verse is making prayer a priority because it says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. We understand that prayer is important. But sometimes we don't want to pray for certain people. <laughs> that is a challenge. But here, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. It makes those distinctions. But we are to give, make our requests known to God. And for others as well. And that is a command, as Paul writes, that of the Lord, as he writes, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we are to pray for others. We are also to ask, give our requests over to God. I don't know about you, but sometimes we think that uh, we have a human concept of God. That sometimes God is too busy. Or my request isn't that serious. There's other people who have serious requests. Just to give you an update, uh, Nathan Lobb. Uh, many of you know who visited here last year, and he just left at Thanksgiving. He's not doing well. He had some mini strokes, and uh, the family wrote, and uh, Dave and Bobby Anderson, who will be visiting soon, they sent me a note, said, check his caring bridge, and he may be passing away very soon. But to understand that uh, prayers, intercessions, supplications, and sometimes we think, oh, my prayers aren't as important as these other people's. But the command and the desire is that we give our requests and our prayers to God, petitions, our supplications. Sometimes we request for things. Sometimes we just pray. And sometimes we have desires of our heart, like anxiety. And when we have those, we give them over to God. It's it is a command because it demonstrates our faith and trust in Him. So obey God's commands. Go to chapter two, Second Timothy. Excuse me, Second Timothy one eight. 2 Timothy 1.8, you, um, you might be in 1 Timothy, but go to 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 1, eight it states, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And then it says, Who has saved, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And what the command is is to understand is to share in sufferings. Now, I don't know about you, but most of us don't like to suffer. Hopefully you aren't in the in that type of individual who loves pain and loves to have bad things happen to you. Uh, there's a condition that we call that, but um, masochistic, but understanding is in suffering as a believer in Christ, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're going to go through some difficult times, some suffering. And some of us think, why? I thought it's supposed to be everything is good. Once you accept Christ, you know everything's going to go well. You're going to get money. You're going to have blessings. And, uh, but that's not the case. Even if you look in the Bible, it talks about they, um, the disciples believed that there were some who, was, who, was, who couldn't walk and lame. And they asked, who sinned? Was it the parents or did he sin? And you find that thought throughout, but it wasn't because of sin. It was that the glory of God might be revealed. And sufferings in our own lives help develop character, help teach us to rely on the person and work of Jesus Christ, to understand more about God. And sometimes we don't even understand. It might be so that we can be a testimony to someone else. Now you think, that's not very fair. Why did I get a flat tire on the I-10 you know, during rush hour, and then it got all dirty and sweaty. It's terrible. That's not very fun. I Hopefully, you know, you wouldn't wish that upon yourself. But to understand there's a purpose in that. And when we have the mind of Christ, we understand that God is in control of our circumstances, and there's a plan and purpose. But the command for us is to, in that suffering or in that um, trial, to trust God through it because we can be a testimony and witness to others. Hebrews 10:23, I tried to go in order for you, so if we keep going, Hebrews 10:23. And uh, Hebrews chapter 10:23 states, and I'll be reading 10:23 through25. Try to give you context uh, to understand what the Word of God says, and it says in verse 23, "Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And that's the object of our faith, Christ. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ, to meet together. The challenge is that getting together with other people for a while is fun, you know, but after a while, people rub us the wrong way. There's certain personalities, people, you know, it's, oh, people offend, and we understand that. But in, within the body of Christ, within even the local church, there's certain people who aren't going to believe the same as you believe. They're going to dress differently. They're going to uh, look differently. But it's a, a picture of the body of Christ in that we can interact to show love and to care about one another and to come together to learn more about what the Word of God says because in that, we are being changed, And the command is, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Come together. You might want to be by yourself. And the danger is those who like to be excluded or secluded on their own, that they miss out on opportunities of encouragement and they aren't, uh, as it talks about, a soldier prepared for battle. Because even in Ephesians it said, gird up your loins and be prepared and be aware because it's a battle of the minds. And Satan is always prepare to attack through our mind, our thought processes. Sometimes it's so easy to have a thought in our mind and to just follow after that thought. And it may lead us to sin. It may lead us to think poorly of someone else. And it's not until we we talk to that person and realize, oh, they, did, they weren't thinking that. Or maybe they offended us and it, it wasn't their intent or something else occurred. And as we interact, we have the opportunity to respond in a biblical manner when someone offends us to show forgiveness but also love and then the last thing there is uh, 1 John 2 15 through 17 looking at the commands there 1 John 2 15 through 17 and there are many other commands throughout the Word of God 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 through 17 and it says Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That is the first priority. The challenge is that what we see around us, sometimes we get distracted. And the material possessions, the plans of our lives, they confront us and we lose sight of what is most important in our lives. And obedience, to obey God's commands is an important part because it demonstrates that we love Christ. Now, I was thinking about things as I was preparing. Obedience isn't always easy, especially for us. But imagine, how many of you have a pet? Raise your hand if you have a pet. Okay, a large number. Think about pets, and I just brought this up because pets don't always obey our commands. While they're lovely companions, they don't always obey. But here's a message to our pets. Uh, Dear dogs and cats, the dishes with the paw prints are yours and contain your food. The other dishes are mine and contain my food. Please note, placing a paw print in the middle of my plate of food does not stake a claim for it becoming your food and dish, nor do I find that aesthetically pleasing in the slightest. The stairway was not designed by NASCAR and is not a racetrack. Beating me to the bottom is not the object. Tripping me doesn't help because I fall faster than you can run. I cannot buy anything bigger than a king-size bed. I am very sorry about this. Do not think that I will continue sleeping on the couch to ensure your comfort. Dogs and cats can actually curl up in a ball when they sleep. It is not necessary to sleep perpendicular to each other, stretched out to the fullest extent possible. I also know that sticking tails straight out and having tongues hanging out to the other end to maximize space is nothing but sarcasm. For the last time, there is not a secret exit from the bathroom. If by some miracle I beat you there and managed to get the door shut, it is not necessary to claw, whine, meow, try to turn the knob, or get your paw under the edge and try to pull the door open. I must exit through the same door I entered. Also, I have been using the bathroom for years. Canine or feline attendance is not mandatory. Those of you who have pets may relate to that. But they don't o- always obey our commands. But here we have the opportunity to obey God's commands. And another characteristic, just in obedience, as the disciples were to wait there, the other, other um, if we return to Acts 1, the other statement says, is not only to stay in Jerusalem, but to wait. And to wait is uh, the next line on the slide. It says wait, or have patience. And that's an act of the mind over time. Most of us don't like to have patience, because patience requires waiting. Some of us, we have to wait in lines, and wait in lines, and wait in lines. And what occurs is that even if we look at some of the Psalms it talks about, uh, wait upon the Lord because it is an important lesson. Psalm 37, uh, chapter 7, let me just read that for you. Psalm 37, chapter 7. And it says, uh, wait on the Lord. Psalm 37, uh, 37, excuse me, Psalm 37, 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. And here the patience is to be patient because what is occurring in your life. There are some who are going to be successful and follow, who aren't following after God and says, hey, wait a second. How come they are succeeding in life? But uh, have patience. Understand that God knows what you're going through. He hears and knows your circumstances. Even if we were to look at one more, uh, Psalm 41. And Psalm 41 says, Psalm chapter 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. The picture there is someone uh, saying, wait, what what did you say? The older we get, sometimes we can't hear. And he inclined your ear. And it says that he has our full attention if you've ever had a small child, sometimes a small child will grab your face and like turn it says, hey, pay attention to me. And uh, they want your full attention. And here, as Luke expresses to the, um, in Acts, he says um, to wait patiently for the Lord because what will occur. And the last thing here is a trust to trust God because it's an act of faith. Wait for the Father's promise. And trust God. Because the essence of faith is believing that God will do what he promised. Trust. If someone says to you, "Um, I will pay you $50 next week. Doesn't always occur. And sometimes when we make promises, we aren't able to keep those promises. But God made this promise. And Jesus said, wait here until you receive the promise. They didn't even know what the promise was. But we'll see it's actually explained, and they didn't understand it completely. But here, the promise is trust God because it is an act of faith, believing that God will do what he promised. If we think about salvation, salvation is an act of faith. When you ask forgiveness for your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life, it's not like instantly you go to heaven and receive that promise. We still have to live. We go through, but we learn more about what that relationship means to have with Christ. He will fulfill his word. He will reward and bless. Talk about Isaiah and going forty thirty one. 31, those that wait upon the Lord. Um, he has gone away and w- preparing a place for us, but also he will come again. And then in talking about in John 16, he says that I must go away so that the comforter will, will come. He's not talking about a blanket, just in case you're confused there. Sometimes a comforter, but he's talking, that's what the little boy, you know, he says, he goes home from... Uh, Sunday school, and he goes home, and the mother says, what was the lesson about? He says, oh, he said, don't worry, you'll get your blanket. It's like, what? I don't understand. And then uh, the mother talks to the teacher and says, oh, we talked about that the comforter will return, but it's not the blanket. Talking about the Holy Spirit, and uh, he will send the comforter. But obedience does bring blessing, and that's an encouragement for each of us who have placed our faith and trust, because when we obey, sometimes we think, In obedience, is it always the right way? How come those who are not obeying seem to get blessed? But obedience will bring blessing. It's not always material. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's physical. But you will be blessed when we obey the Lord. Secondly, ignorance brings understanding. And that's kind of paradoxical, but ignorance brings understanding. Someone once said, we're all ignorant just in different areas which is true, we don't know everything about anything. Some of us are experts in our field. Sometimes it's just we're like the farmer uh, who received the Nobel Prize because he was outstanding in his field. Take a second for you to get that, but the farmer. Anyway, it's a day for bad jokes, but understanding is that ignorance brings understanding. And here, as we go to Acts and look at it again, what takes place is Luke gives us some insight, and I appreciate his perspective, because Luke says, While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, are we restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? Now, why would he ask that? If you think about it, the message of John the Baptist, going back to John the Baptist, was repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is a hand. And so they had that mindset. And every Jewish individual, every Hebrew, would have been thinking about, oh, he's going to establish his kingdom, relieve us from this Roman rule and persecution. And if you've ever been under oppression or if you've ever seen that, you would want that freedom. And that's what they longed for. And... Even the the Jewish nation is still looking for that peace. But God is omniscient and in control of the times and periods, as it says in verse 7. Because he says in verse 7, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Some of you may say power, but under his authority, he is the one in control of the days and seasons. And... First of all, we see here is that they didn't understand what was going on. But the fact is the Holy Spirit is the promise. The Holy Spirit is the promise. And Luke remembered the words. This you heard from me in verse 1-6 that John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near at hand. And they were thinking about that, that uh, kingdom of heaven and baptism. But what took place is that we see is that The Holy Spirit would be coming the promise. The whole point of the baptism is we're going to look at the next one is that water baptism. What was the purpose of baptism of John? It was a picture of repentance, preparation for the kingdom. Because in order to receive Christ at that time, they had to repent and to understand that what it represents. Water baptism is a symbol. It holds no power. It doesn't gain you favor. There are those who believe that if you are baptized by water, it'll be um, an act of part of your salvation. But water baptism is a a picture of obedience that you are following after Christ. And as we look at John's baptism, it represented a uh, symbolic washing to purify and demonstrate repentance of sin, preparation. And then what happens is, It's an outward demonstration of an inward faith. And that's what we believe even water baptism. I'm pointing to the baptismal, but when a person comes to Christ, nowadays the significance of baptism is not as great. In the first century, when a person was um, preparing, when they came to Christ, the outward expression to be baptism was a display to all their friends and families that now I want to follow after Christ. And even the witnesses, as they keep them accountable to understand, because it is done publicly, it wasn't a secret thing. Back at that time, some of them, they met in the homes in the first century. It was large enough, and they still have the baptisms there, the, the um, water tanks, and they would go under. But by publicly stating that, it was for the witnesses to help keep accountable, but also it was declaring that I'm going to follow after Christ. And there's an accountability, but also a visibility. Because it's, it's one thing to say that uh, you're going to follow or live a certain way or follow after Christ. But then when people are scrutinizing you, if you think about it nowadays, when you say I'm a Christian, sometimes that's a a general generic term. But if you say I follow after Jesus Christ and I want to live that way, all of a sudden it says when you mess up, they're there, hey, what about that? I thought you were a Christian. Oh, you speak like that or you do that and you call yourself a Christian? Sometimes you can simply behave in a joking manner and sometimes they think, oh, do Christians do that? Well, Christians can have a sense of humor. You know, you don't have to be sober and and serious all the time. It's okay. But sometimes they have this misconception of that uh, a Christian needs to live in a monastery and be separate from the world because of the picture. Then there's some Christians who have misrepresented Christ. Our desire is to follow after the word of God and demonstrate it because a lot of people who don't know Christ don't know what it means to be a Christian because they've seen a lot of people saying they're Christians, but they're not following Christ. And so here, water baptism is that symbol. And uh, Matthew 3, the ministry of John the Baptist was repent and prepare for the kingdom of heaven, the rule of Messiah. And the people thought that they were going to rule in government instead of rule in their heart. Jesus would rule in their hearts. And as we look at the um, invisible change that occurs through salvation, And water baptism after salvation is still that symbol because it is a declaration. It's a public act of obedience. And if you've never been baptized by water after salvation, I would encourage you to do that, but understand that. But also spirit baptism. What is spirit baptism? Spirit baptism is a transformation that he's talking about here because in the text it says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days by now. Well, for them, it's it was very confusing because think about who is the Holy Spirit? They don't know who the Holy Spirit is, per se. They understand a little bit, but it's like, okay, are they going to dip me in water too? And sometimes we have that concept. But spirit baptism, the word baptism simply means to immerse. And as we look through here, the receipt of the Holy Spirit occurred in a method that would clearly identify to the disciples that it was God. And as we get to Acts 2 about the the Spirit coming down. It's important for us to look at what the Word of God says in that. But here we see in the Spirit baptism a transformation because anyone who comes to Christ, who places their faith in Jesus Christ, isn't the same. There is going to be changed. Now, you might not feel any different because it's not a feeling. It's a relational change and it's a positional change because now your sins are forgiven so you're at peace with God. You have the power over sin through the help of the Holy Spirit but also you have a future home in heaven. So if something were to happen to you, occur to you, if you were to die, you would be in the presence of God. That's the promise. That's the transformation. And when we understand the peace that that brings, it is truly life transforming. And here... It gives divine enablement. You will receive power, verse 8 and verse 7. And the King James Version translates it power and really talking about the authority. But power here, it is the power that is uh, where we get the word dynamite, the ability to be able to handle suffering, the ability to be able to um, enact in ways that we didn't think we could through the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been in a situation where you didn't think you could handle, whether it be emotionally, physically, but God gives us supernatural strength. And it's not uh, sometimes a power where we rely on. Sometimes we think God is like the vending machine God. You push a button. God, I need some more grace. Okay, down comes grace. I need some more mercy, you know, and it comes down. He's giving you sufficient. But there are times where divine enablement to maybe where you, you need sleep the power to rest, or you need relief over pain, or you need uh, help through that. And it's not the vending machine. God gives that through that because he knows what you're going through. And when we pray, God is there and available, but his timing is perfect. But he gives you divine enablement in those times to be able to make it through. But also, there is a purpose. And uh, even in... In this, we don't understand everything. I was thinking about uh, ignorance brings understanding because the disciples didn't understand the work of the Holy Spirit. And here, Luke is explaining what is taking place. There's an example of a young man who was at the construction site and he was bragging that he could outdo any one of the other workers in a feat of strength. He made a special case of making fun of one of the older workmen. After several minutes, the older workmen had had enough. And he says, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? I'll bet you a a week's paycheck that I can haul something in a wheelbarrow over that outbuilding that you won't be able to wheel back. You're on, old-timer, the braggart replied. Let's see what you got. The old man reached out, grabbed the wheelbarrow by the handles, then nodding to the young man and said, get in. Ignorance brings understanding. We don't know it all. And the way God works, and sometimes we don't always understand how God works. But here, as he explains, the spirit baptism, that there is a divine enablement, but there's a divine purpose to be witnesses. You will be my witnesses for God's intended purpose. Luke explains that it was beginning to be the start of the church, an assembly of believers together that comprised Jewish believers and Gentile believers, something that had never occurred before. You know, if we think about our backgrounds, there's no other reason why we would get together. Maybe sometimes you might like the same food as I like, or maybe we would go to the same place. But think about our backgrounds. As we come together, God has brought us together for his divine purpose. And in that, we can encourage one another. We can strengthen one another. And the benefit of the church is that as God's people, he brings us together to pray for one another and to meet needs. But to understand it's for his purpose not our own, but when we serve God, we find fulfillment in that as well, and we see divine growth, God-given growth. I don't know if you've ever been on farms before, but, uh, you know, sometimes you can have the perfect green thumb, and things still don't grow, and I was thinking even about growing and healing the process in surgery. Many of you know I worked in surgery, but oftentimes you can have the perfect surgery, but there still isn't healing. It is, um, it is the body's response to that. And in growth, spiritual growth, we can put ourselves in, in a position where we think that we are growing and what we think is best for us, but we can still not grow if God is not in it. And divine growth is much more, if you look at the growth and how growth occurs, you can have just little growth and progress, um, progressive growth But exponential growth comes from God. And that growth, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, talking about personal growth, and then also spirit control growth, which is more of a corporate. Here is geographical, and it is measurable. As we look at the text, it says, you will receive, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. If you think about the individuals that were chosen. And before they were fearful men. They didn't know what to do. But then all of a sudden all of them died martyr's death. And to spread the gospel to the known world. To to go and spread the message of Christ. And even as we think about the influence of Christianity. And what has occurred. And it wasn't because of who they were. Some more fishermen. One was a tax collector. We look at their backgrounds. And sometimes we think two ways. We think because we have talents and abilities, God can use us greatly, which he can. But sometimes we think, I don't have any talents and abilities, and God can't use me at all. But that's where God confounds. The wisdom of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Sometimes we think, God used me because I have all these talents and abilities, and he tends to... Set that those gifts and abilities aside, he can use those, but sometimes he uses us in a different way because he wants us to understand that it's not through our own strength but through God's strength and abilities that he's using us. And those who, of us, sometimes there's people who say, I don't have any talent and ability through that, and God, that person, sometimes God does miraculous things through because it's not about the chosen vessel, if you will, the individual's talents and abilities. It's about us allowing God to work in us and through us. And that's divine growth. Realizing that that God can use anyone, but the gift is that God chooses to use you. Each of you here this morning, God can use. And it's where we submit and are are willing to allow to be used by him. And uh, the divine enablement, as we look at, it talks about um, that, again, upon that theme. Uh, I called a friend and asked what he was doing, and he replied, he was working on an aqua thermal treatment of ceramics. And, uh, oh, ceramics, aluminum, and steel under a constrained environment. Let me repeat that. He says, I'm working on an aqua thermal treatment of ceramics, aluminum, and steel under a constrained environment. I was impressed, you know, it sounded really important. And then later, I found out that he was washing dishes under, with, hot, wa- under, with hot water under his wife's supervision. So, you just can see, you know, sometimes it doesn't, it isn't always about uh, the name, but if you give it a fancy name. But divine growth comes down to the fact that it is God who works in us and through us. And finally, as we look at, just a lesson is that in verse 9 through 11, we see here that Jesus will return. Jesus will return. And it talks about the rapture. Verse 9 through 11, it says, Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up. They were witnesses. It was more than 12 individuals. This group of people were able to see this phenomena because it would have been phenomena, phenomenal to see that. You know, I've, I don't know if you, um, the drones, those are kind of cool. My son has a little drone, and to see that, to see the picture, and it's always a different perspective. But to, to see, I've never seen someone just float up, without one of those um, booster packs, but to be able to go up and then not come down. And someday the Lord will return. It was a visible, it was a tangible act that will occur, but Jesus will return. And in a cloud, it gives us that description. Here in Arizona and Phoenix, sometimes we, it's a cloud to stay and but return to the where they were at, the Mount of Olives. But it's a picture even as a reminder of the, for the Israelites that pillar of cloud that they followed in the Old Testament out of Egypt. But someday Jesus will return, and that's a promise to all believers. And I put up there the rapture, and the word rapture isn't in the Bible. In fact, it's a Latin word, rapio, which means to seize or snatch in relation to the ecstasy of spirit and or, or the actual removal from one place to another. And that's what's going to happen because, you know, we can say, oh, I'm enraptured, but the rapture will occur. It's just simply to explain a biblical concept. And the rapture of the church means the carrying away of the church or those people who place our faith and trust in Christ up to heaven. And it's, it comes from our um, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, sometimes translated, they will be caught up. And the Greek word translates it harpazo, which means to snatch or take away but i want you to understand this is the text the reminder of the future future promise that jesus will return and for every believer that should bring joy because everything that occurs on this earth it really doesn't matter in the sense that sometimes we're so concerned about life's difficulties life's trials health issues but the desire of our of our hearts the reminder should be that in heaven someday we will be in heaven, and that promise will be far greater, outweigh any of the of the burdens of the challenges that we face on this earth. And until then, live in such a way that will honor God, that will be a witness, an example to Him. And although we aren't going to have all the answers, because oftentimes we, we want to know what's going to happen. Uh, Christ could return at any moment. We believe that. And the Word of God says that there are certain events that will occur, but also He doesn't make it as specific as we would like it and part of it is because we will worship the process rather than think about the the fact that Christ will return and if we're too busy measuring the signs that you know what we're going to be like those who are trying to light our candles as it talks about and when he returns it will be wonderful whether we are taken in death beforehand or because to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord or in life it's not about, hey, you know what, we get to fly, but it's, it's the fact that we, he will return. I mean, that sounds cool, but he will return, and it's all about Christ. And when our lives are focused upon Christ, then it removes those other distractions that come into our life. Not always easy, but the fact is that there is great joy in this. So may we be like the disciples. And, and even the disciples had to be reminded, just to close with this, it says, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, you know, so think about this. You saw them go up, and so it would be like, wow, what are you looking at? There's a social experiment for you. If you go down the street in a crowded street, if you look up, people walk by, but some will be like, what are you looking at? You know, what, what where are they looking at? But how long were they gazing? You know, think about it. They didn't know anything else. They're standing there gazing and looking up as he went up into heaven, and they might have been there for a while. What would happen nowadays, it would have been a holy sight. You know, everyone go there and build a a monument, and they would consider holy worship there. But the angels tell them, two men stood there in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him. So get busy. Get moving. Move on. Sometimes we need that reminder. Sometimes we're we're, we're looking at the promise, but guess what? Stop looking at the promise. We need to keep living life in in a manner which says, hey, he's going to be returned. Are you ready? Shall we pray?